0: Brahmanandam paramasukhadam kevalam jnana murtim gaganasadrisham gagana sadhrisham tattvamashya dilaksham ekam nityam vimalam achalam sarvadeshakshibhutam bhavatetam I bow to
1: my Guru. I bow to him in everyone. I bow to him in you. Because his presence, remember, no one wave is more important than any other wave. All are waves of the same ocean. One time I was Cheeky enough to ask my guru, were you Jesus Christ in a former life? He replied very calmly and distracted this, with dispassion, what difference would it make? The same ocean has produced all the waves. And remember that one soul who achieves moksha is no smaller and no greater than any other who has done the same thing. You are Rama, you are Krishna, you are Babaji, Lairi, moshai, Sri Yogananda, you are the same as all of them. The only difference is that you're asleep. If you are, I hope I'm addressing some who are not. But the truth is we all have to get there. Now, one thing that you need to do is to renounce. And renunciation is not wearing gheru. Renunciation is not going to a cave. My guru had certain disciples who were very free inwardly. They were renunciates. But they had to live married lives. In our community, most people, I'm probably the only renunciate in the community of a thousand people. Yes, I would love to get monks and women renunciates also. And yes, if you want to join me in that capacity, come. But nonetheless, real renunciation is of the heart. And let me read you something that my guru said here that I think is a very important thing to remember. He said on the subject of renunciation, If you forsake truly for God, you will receive a hundredfold as Jesus Christ promised and, as Jesus said, also persecution. No one escapes persecution, for God wants to be sure of his devotee. One has to be willing to sacrifice opposition for choosing the spiritual path over the ways of the world. This is something that, mind you, there is a certain... I'm going to turn the spine out so you can see the name better. There is a certain sternness on the path. There's, there's sweetness, there's humility, there's joy, there's laughter, there's love. In fact, I've never laughed so much as I have since I came onto the spiritual path and found joy inside. You know, one thing that brought me to this path, spiritual path was remembering how happy I had been as a child. And then remembering how that happiness had become ever Less, The more I became educated, the more intelligent and uh, intellectual I was, the more I became proud of my erudition, proud of my intelligence, the less I laughed. until I understood that when was I happy? Not these years. I was happy as a child. And so then I began longing to know God. And however, because habits take a long time to break, It took a while to break that habit when I met my guru also, but with devotion, nothing else matters. I remember one time there were these two visitors to Mount Washington who had a bookstore in South America and, well, I speak Spanish, so we were talking Spanish together. When they heard that I didn't know the names of the chakras in in Sanskrit because my guru had taught them to me in English, They looked at me sort of contemptuously, as if, well, what kind of knowledge does he have? Words aren't wisdom. Knowing a lot of Sanskrit isn't wisdom. Knowing a lot of customs isn't wisdom. It's the purity of your heart that determines how wise you are. And yes, because I had to teach lots of people in many countries, I realized, oh, well, all right, I'll learn the Sanskrit words. And I learned them, yeah. But what did it do? Nothing except... Give me a greater capacity to communicate, but the true wisdom comes in yourself. So, you have to understand, however, that if you want God, the world will raise itself up in opposition to you. You will be mounting, mind you, maya has been holding you for life after life after life. Do you think that maya will say, oh, well, if you want to go, oh, it's all right. (laughs) It doesn't happen like that way. Maya does its best to hold you. When you really dedicate your life to God, you will find that Maya, Satan it's called also, is a very active thing. You know, my guru once said, I used to think Satan was only a mental uh, thought. He said, now that I have found God, I join my testimony to that of all who went before me. Satan is very real. Maya is very real, it's very conscious, and it does its best to hold you. Now that holding is something that, yes, you will encounter that opposition, no question. You know, where do you encounter it first? Among those who love you. And you will think, well, but my mother loves you. I hate to disappoint her. Just think. I said this a few days ago. If you were to die and be reborn next door, she wouldn't recognize you as her son. She might feel a certain kindness toward you, a certain tenderness, but that that life would be over. Don't let this world hold you down because otherwise you'll go on wandering and wandering, suffering and suffering. This is what happens, that when somebody seeks deeply, on a in a deep way to understand what happiness is and where it can be found, then he suddenly wakes up and remembers all those lives that he suffered, all those lives that he wandered. And in that revelation of God to the soul, that is when it says in the Bhagavad Gita that Krishna addressed these words to Arjuna smiling. It takes a lot of spiritual work for God to have won God's smile when God sees that, yes, you have done that work, and he smiles at you and says, Welcome, you are my own. He won't say that right away. You have offended him for God knows how many lives. You've got to prove yourself to him too, which really means, because he's omniscient, really means you've got to prove yourself to yourself. Because you have this desire to overcome maya. That doesn't mean your subconscious says yes, yes. If you can do that from the beginning of the spiritual path, you're a very unusual person. You're already born free. Otherwise, yes, you want this, you know that you want it, and you're absolutely vowed to want it. And there's that little voice in your subconscious, (laughs) I know. And there's a certain cynicism in your own subconscious that says, yeah, well, I'll try it. It it, It takes a lot of work to reach the point where you say, no, I really know that I want it. Not affirmation. You just don't want anything else. It's all so empty. And you look at this world and all its beauties and all the beautiful people and faces and everything and you think, it's not my world. And you can't go anywhere and find a better world. There may be wonderful planets. There may be uh, high astral, high planets in this physical universe that are all sattvic. You know the trouble with them is, just one trouble, you will be there. You with your ego, you with your thoughts of I want this, that limits you, that makes you a slave, it makes you a prisoner. You must reach that point of inner freedom where wherever you go, always, whatever you do, don't say, oh, mine, mine, I'm enjoying this. There's that story I read to you from this book some time back where the gopis used to take Chana over to Krishna. And he loved the Chana because he loved their devotion. But one day the Jamuna was in spate and it was so swollen nobody could get across it and they were wondering how can we bring our Lord Chana today? And uh, they remembered Vyasa and he was a very highly advanced disciple and so they went to Vyasa and they said, Well, uh, Vyasa, please, Maharaj. Could you help us to get across the river? We have no way of taking Krishna, his cheese. Vyasa said, Krishna, Krishna, all I ever hear is Krishna. What about me? And they thought, my God, what an egotist. But you know what Vyasa was doing was he wasn't thinking me. It was just his joke. He was thinking Krishna. And he thought Krishna, as they, they sort of reluctantly gave him cheese, because they thought, well, if we have to pay this price to get over and give the slim remnants of our offering to our Lord okay and so Vyasa ate and ate until he was stuffed and he somehow carried himself to the Jamuna and he said Jamuna if I have eaten nothing divide up and part and they thought what a liar we've just seen him eat like a pig and all of a sudden the waters parted and they thought well let me let's not let's not uh, waste time we'll go through while we can but they were thinking at the same time He lied. The Jamuna accepted his lie. What is this? And they came to Krishna's hut. And Krishna was inside. And usually he was waiting at the door expectantly for their chana, their cheese. And uh, they called to him, Lord, Lord, Krishna. And finally he said, "Mm, what is it? They said, Lord, we brought you your cheese. Oh, I can't eat any more cheese today. That fellow across the Jamuna has fed me too much already. You see... See, yes, Vyasa's body absorbed the cheese. But he didn't have his consciousness. He didn't think, I am eating. Now, there's the whole thing you've got to do. Get rid of that thought, I. Get rid of the thought that I am doing it. You know, I had to go. We all have to go. If we give our lives to God, he will do his best through others. He doesn't do it, but through others, he allows others to try to destroy us. An organization spent something like 250 crores of rupees, the equivalent in dollars, to try to destroy me and my work. Now, that's a lot of money. Somehow, with God's grace, we hung in there, but we had to go to court. And I had to sit there in court while this lawyer was just uh, doing his best to break my will and throw me down and make me look horrible and make me look absurd. And I, I tried to say something, and he said, oh, yes, we know you like to be eloquent. And so what could I do? I just said, Divine Mother, it's your show. They can take everything away from me. It doesn't matter to me. I've given my life to you. I don't cling to anything. Whatever you want, it's yours. If you don't want it, it's still yours. But I did not allow my feelings to be ruffled. I was not ruffled. I was indifferent in the sense that whatever God wanted, I was was happy to. So inside, in my mind, I was feeling almost tears of love for God. It was, to me, a wonderful experience, but I don't think it looked like that to anybody else. When you have that kind of freedom in your heart, that nothing can touch you, because you know that you are not that. As it says, uh, there's a path that says neti neti. Just don't be touched by anything. Nothing belongs to you. And if you give everything to him, neti means not this, not that. Then you will find, but that's, to my mind, a little bit of a dry path. I prefer, and my guru taught me this too. I know I met a, an ancient sadhu in outside Puri in Orissa. And uh, he was advising me. Ancient means 132 years old. That's uh, quite a bit older than I am. And uh, he, he advised me, I, uh, when you see a sunset, don't enjoy it. I thought, no, he was saying, don't enjoy anything. I said, not even a beautiful sunset? Nothing. I thought, what a dry path. I respect all paths. I admire all paths. I couldn't possibly follow all paths. And I thank God, thank God, my guru said to love God in everything, not to love him in nothing. Because honestly, I just wonder if God is pleased if we just reject out of hand and scoff at his handiwork. He has created a beautiful show like that, story of the sadhu, whose way of praying was to look at the clouds and look at the river and look at the mountains and clap his hands and say, Lord, well done. I like that kind of approach. This is, this is not the only possible approach and I honor all approaches. But my guru said, instead of saying neti neti, love God in all, but love all for his sake, not for uh, its own sake. My guru in this way could enjoy, it was just wonderful being with him because he had such a wonderful sense of joy. He, more than anyone I have ever met, said yes to life. Now you will have to face this in the world, however, but the world won't go along with that. I remember one time I was, was, uh, there was a bar mitzvah, that's a Jewish ceremony that they had in Beverly Hills for the sort of coming of age of young boys. And although I'm not Jewish, I was invited there uh, to show some yoga postures as a part of their event. And afterwards, the people in Beverly Hills, if they're not movie stars, many of them are uh, Jewish psychiatrists. And very materialistic, many of them. Well, this materialistic psychiatrist got a hold of me and was started, starting to grill me about this ridiculous teaching of yoga. I'd just been demonstrating postures, and he was challenging me on every front. Well, I was young. I was only 23, as a result of which I didn't have the the kind of sense that you develop over a period of time. And uh, I was trying to persuade him by talking of certain miracles that I had seen my guru perform and so on. And I can see in retrospect that he must have been sort of thinking, well, let's see, I have a opening for this character at 11 o'clock on Wednesday for an appointment with him. He must have thought I was crazy. Well, um, when I met my guru, he wasn't at all converted, but when I met my guru a few days later, I used to serve lunch to him and his guests. And then when the, uh, at the end of the meal, I would do yoga postures for them. And after they left, we would often sit at the table together, and he would talk or give me advice or whatever. He he was training me to be a teacher and uh, he looked at me after they'd all gone and he said, by the way, when you're with materialistic people who are skeptics, don't talk about miracles. I said, you knew. He said, I know every thought you think. That's an astounding statement. He had many disciples. It's not as if he was sitting behind a screen, concentrating on me. He knew these thoughts instinctively. Because he was omnipresent. He knew every thought you think. That's quite a lot. Some people would be frightened to know that he knew every thought, but I was glad, because I had given all myself to him. So, whatever he knew, many times I would think things or uh, pray for things in meditation and so on, and he would correct me. Um, one time, it was rather a funny thing, one of the disciples told me that he was chanting Om Guru, Om Guru, Om Guru, and suddenly, he lost all feeling in his body. And uh, he, he then, uh, he was in a blissful state, but then he, he thought, well, I'm working around machinery. He was working in the print shop. I could easily put my arm into the machinery and wouldn't even know that it was being destroyed. And so he prayed to come down from that state. I would have gone to my room and just meditated anyway. Never mind. So I thought, that's for me. So I began chanting Om Guru all the time, every waking moment. And I saw Master, he had just come back from Encinitas. And he looked at me and said, What kind of mischief are you up to, Walter? <laughs> I said, No mischief, sir. He said, Are you sure you're not up to some kind of mischief? I said, No, sir. To me, I knew what he meant, but I didn't think of it as mischief. And he just with her love, he said, Well... then he said goodbye. He didn't want to go further. But you must dare to be different if you want to know God. Joy to you.
0: Dare to be different, dare to be free. Dare to roam far like wind on the sea. Fly like a gull, soar high on the air. Be strong in your courage when others despair. Never in anger, never in haste Go without pride, be never abased Freedom is yours, if freedom you'll give To all give it freely, in freedom you'll live Mountains that stand up tall to the sky Tell us no dreaming is ever too high. Dare to defy them, brave that high peak. You'll never know failure if bravely you seek. Dare to be different, dare to be free. Dare to roam far like wind on the sea. Fly like a gull, soar high on the air, be strong in your courage when others despair.